Amen. As we've gathered together to uh, to worship, and our uh, our call to worship this morning will come from First Chronicles, First Chronicles, chapter sixteen, and we'll begin reading in the eighth verse. First Chronicles, First Chronicles, chapter sixteen, verse eight. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O oh, seed of Israel, his servant. You children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. And confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel for an everlasting covenant. Saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When you were few in number, indeed very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great, and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established and shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God, our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful this day that we can gather together and, and uh, meet together to offer you our worship and our praise and to give you the glory that is due your name, Lord, to worship you in the splendor of your holiness and to recognize your, your good and gracious gifts toward us. And Lord, today, this day, we especially remember the gift of, of mothers, and Lord, thank you for your protection and provision for us in, uh, in mothers, and Lord, we pray for each mother that they would experience your grace and, and, uh, and enjoy this day. 
And Lord, we know that on Mother's Day, there are many different emotions. Those who have uh, recently lost mother, we pray that you would provide comfort and grace uh, toward them. And those who, uh, who, who struggle with the memory of motherhood or, or um, lost loved ones, Lord, that there would be a time of comfort and grace to each one. And Lord, we're thankful for uh, the love and joy that has been shown to us by those that you have uh, entrusted us into their care. And we just pray that they would be honored and, and, uh, and, and celebrated this day. And Lord, we pray also for our opportunity to worship, that you would grant us grace and that your spirit would lead us to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, that we would declare your, your goodness and your greatness and your mercy and majesty. And Lord, that we would just celebrate your grace and kindness toward us and God the Son dying for our sins, raising from the dead, exalted now to your right hand. And we would also celebrate God the Holy Spirit with us, in us, enabling us, empowering us to worship in spirit and truth. And Lord, we thank you that you are our Father and that we can approach your throne of grace in the name of Jesus and receive mercy and help in times of need. Thank you for your kindness toward us and may we worship now in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 100. As we continue to worship, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Book of Galatians chapter 5. Our focus today is verse 22. Uh, We have been looking through the fruit of the Holy Spirit and... uh, Starting here in Galatians and then looking other other places in the New Testament to uh, look at these attributes, these characteristics that the Holy Spirit produces in those uh, that are led by the Spirit, that walk in the Spirit, that have been reborn by the Spirit, regenerated, given new birth by God's grace through their faith in Jesus Christ, born again to new life, everlasting life, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works to produce His fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. And you can see the root of salvation by grace through faith by examining the fruit. And so we are looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Today we will focus on uh, uh, verse 22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And so to uh, set the verses in their context, let's begin reading in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, 
that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you have spoken to us. Lord, that you have breathed out these words that are profitable for us, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and to train us in righteousness that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write these words, writing for us your very words, words that are perfect and inerrant and infallible. Lord, we stand before your word, believing that it is true without any mixture of error, but we also understand that our understanding of it is, is, is not so uh, perfect. We are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth, to help us understand the truth, to believe the truth, and to apply the truth to our life. So may your Spirit speak to us, lead us into truth this day, and most importantly, most profoundly, to enable us to walk in your truth. We pray that your spirit would produce in us his fruit of goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as I was studying, looking at this passage, uh, I ran across a poem that I have heard uh, most of my life. One of the commentators uh, uh, talked about goodness using the poem, uh, uh, there, there was a little girl who had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. And when she was good, she was very, very good, but when she was bad, she was horrid. Have y'all heard that poem, or is that just something that was at my house? Have y'all? <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought it was a popular poem, but y'all looked at me like y'all never heard that. But uh, I thought about that. You know, this little girl was, when she was good, she was very, very good, but when she was bad, she was horrid, and that, of course, that rhymes with forehead, so uh, um, um, I thought about that, and I thought about, you know, sometimes that might describe me. There might be a time when I might do something that the world would say is good. Or there might be a time that I would do something that the world would even say is very, very good. But there are other times when I might do something that the world and, and myself might consider to be horrid. <laughs> we try to be good, but goodness can be something that is uh, hard for us to achieve. In fact, the Bible tells us that we... Uh, we cannot be good in our own strength, and our own flesh, that uh, in our own flesh there is a lack of goodness that is produced, but the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. If we want to do that which is good, if we want to do that which is very, very good, we must be led by the Spirit, we must walk in the Spirit. Goodness is not something we can work up and produce, but goodness is produced as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. As we abide in Christ and His Word abides in us, the Holy Spirit produces His fruit, and the fruit of the Spirit is, is goodness. And uh, uh, remember the church, in, the churches in Galatia, several churches that Paul established, as we uh, saw in Acts chapter 14. He went through the region of Galatia, modern-day Turkey, and established churches in Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe. And these churches 
were made up of people who were ethnically and religiously Jewish that had come to faith in Jesus Christ, that embraced Jesus as their Messiah, turned from their sin, put their trust in Jesus, and joined the church, professed their faith in Jesus, born again by the Holy Spirit. So there are ethnic and traditional and religious Jews that have become Christians that are part of the church. And the church is also made up of those who were pagans, those who were outside, those who did not have the law, those who were among the nations. They too heard the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. They repented of their sins, put their trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, and were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these people came together in the same churches. Uh, traditional, religious, ethnic Jews, uh, the people from the nations that had, had no law, had no religious traditions or were coming out of paganism, they came together in one church with all their ethnic differences, their uh, uh, differences in tradition, their differences in culture, their differences in their primary language. They came together in these churches and, and were united by their common faith in Jesus Christ. Their belief in the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, they came together in these churches. And the things that separated them, that made them different, were not near as important as the one thing that united them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But after Paul had left, false teachers came in and began to exploit those differences. These false teachers that were of the Jewish background, Jewish ethnicity, Jewish tradition came in and were teaching the churches that because Jesus was a Jew, before you can become a Christian, you have got to become a Jew through tradition and through obeying the law and even through surgery. You've got to become Jewish before you can become a Christian. And they brought in this false gospel. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes his pen in his hand and he writes this letter to defend the gospel the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and to focus the people not on what divided them, but on what united them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're trying to earn God's acceptance through the law, through obedience, through striving, then you are, by definition, walking in the flesh, trying to earn salvation, trying to earn God's acceptance, trying to earn approval through your obedience to the law, you are walking in the flesh, and the flesh will inevitably produce the fruit that Paul has given us in verse 20. And that's what's happening in the church. There's division, there's dissensions, there's contention, there's arguing. And so Paul writes them, writes to them who have been born by the Spirit that they need to be led by the Spirit, and they need to walk in the Spirit, and the Spirit will produce His fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit, we've looked at love, joy, peace, long-suffering and kindness, and today we focus our attention on that next aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is goodness. And so we think about goodness, there's two key questions we need to ask ourselves. What is goodness? And then second, how do I attain goodness? And so first, what is goodness? Well, we see that goodness is an attribute of God. We read it in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, and over and over in the scripture, we are commanded to give thanks to the Lord because he is good. Give thanks to the Lord because he is 
good. And then a lot of times there'll be a parallel phrase, uh, his, his loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he has good. He is good. He has done good things to us. And so goodness is an attribute, a characteristic of God where he shows his loving kindness, where he shows his faithfulness, where he shows his mercy. God shows his goodness in creating a great uh, creation, a great universe that is designed to meet our needs. And we see the goodness of the Lord and the things that he has made and bringing forth from, from the earth that which we need, giving us a good and noble task of tending and keeping creation, working with it to produce our needs, giving us the, the gifts of one another, the gifts of other people. It's not good for the man to be alone. God has shown his goodness in so many ways to us by bringing rain, bringing sunshine, providing for us, showing his loving kindness and his mercy. And of course, the most profound way that God's goodness has shown to us in sending his son Jesus uh, to, to satisfy his demand for goodness, Jesus was good, satisfied God's demand for goodness, and then he satisfied the demand of the law against our lack of goodness, our ungoodness, as he died on the cross to take the penalty for the sin that we deserve. God showed his goodness in raising Jesus from the dead, showing that sacrifice has been accepted, and God's wrath has been turned away from all who believe. And God shows his goodness in drawing sinners to himself, granting them new life, and when they repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, he comes and he gives them new life in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of goodness comes in and the Holy Spirit then produces his fruit, his fruit of goodness. And so goodness is an attribute of God. And, and it's an attribute of God that he communicates to us, that he shares with us. And the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The Holy Spirit produces goodness in us. And so for us, goodness is reflecting the goodness of God. God is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness endures forever. And for us, goodness then is doing what is right in the eyes of God. Doing that which is pleasing to God. Reflecting his loving kindness. Reflecting his goodness in all ways doing what is right. Goodness for us is doing that which is right and pleasing and acceptable in the eyes of God. And, uh, and so, so goodness is loving our neighbor. In, in verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's important for us to note that that in 514, that's not gospel. That is law. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is God's law. In fact, Jesus says that is the second greatest law of all of the Old Testament. It's a law in which all of the law of the Old Testament can be summed up. Love God and love your neighbor. And here Paul says the same thing, that all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's important for us to note that that is law, that is not gospel. The law is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the reason we need the gospel is because we can't do that. We fall short of that standard. The law is given to show us that we cannot obtain goodness on our own. We cannot 
achieve perfect goodness. We fall short of that law, and that is why we need the gospel. And so the gospel is, we have fallen short of God's holy standard. We have not loved our neighbor as we love ourselves, and therefore we have disobeyed the law, and we are guilty and condemned, and we need mercy and grace. Now Jesus comes, and he fulfills the law. He earns goodness by practicing goodness, and then he died on the cross to take the penalty for us who have failed to do good. And so... Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not gospel. That's law. And the reason we need the gospel is because we've disobeyed the law. We have fallen short of the law. Because God has told us what is good. God has defined goodness for us. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What is good? We do what the Lord requires of us. We do justice, we love mercy, and we walk humbly with God. But we have fallen short, and that is why we need the gospel. That is why we need Christ. And so goodness, goodness is doing what is right in the eyes of God. Goodness is doing justice, loving mercy, walking with God. Goodness is doing what is pleasing to God, what is right in His eyes. Goodness is reflecting God's loving kindness and his goodness and always doing what is right. And so that is goodness. Well, how do I practice goodness? How do I do goodness? And uh, the first thing that we have to say is we cannot do goodness in our own strength. We cannot do goodness. We cannot work up goodness. We cannot produce goodness through our self-effort. We might be able to do the things that the world says is good and very, very good, but at the same time, we can do that which the world uh, would say is horrid. We fall short of God's holy standard. We cannot work up goodness. We cannot produce goodness. We cannot uh, do goodness simply because of our self-control and through our effort and through the flesh. And Paul even goes on to, to say uh, that our liberty is not to be used as an opportunity for the flesh. And if we walk in the flesh, the flesh is against the Spirit, and we do not do the things that we wish. If we are trying to produce goodness in our own effort, we will not be able to do it. We will fail in that. And we will produce the fruits of the flesh, the work of the flesh, instead of the fruit of the Spirit. And in another place, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. That's Romans 7.18. In my flesh, there is nothing good. I want to do good. I want to obey the law. I want to obey, I love my neighbor as I love myself. The will, I believe God's law is good and it tells me what is pleasing to him. I want to do what is right in God's sight. I want to do what's pleasing to him. I want to always do right. The will is there, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. In my flesh, I cannot produce goodness 
And Paul also says in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, there is none who does good, not even one. So how do I produce goodness? I cannot produce it in my flesh. I cannot do it through my self-effort. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. How do I produce goodness? I walk in the flesh. I mean, I walk in the Spirit. If I'm led by the Spirit, I walk in the Spirit, and the Spirit produces His fruit of goodness. And uh, back in, uh, in Matthew chapter 19, we see a man come and ask Jesus about goodness. And we see Jesus teach about, uh, uh, about goodness in Matthew chapter 19. Flip over to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, said to Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so here we have a lesson on goodness this young man comes to jesus and asks him said to him good teacher he calls jesus a good teacher and there is no model there's no pattern there's nowhere else in the scripture that a person is called a good teacher this is unique in the scripture that this man comes to jesus and calls him a good teacher a good rabbi and perhaps he is, uh, he, maybe he has heard Jesus teach. Maybe he has heard the teaching of Jesus, and like many of Jesus' contemporaries, people who heard him teach, maybe he was blown away by the teaching of Jesus. He heard him speak, and he recognized that he was not like the rabbis and the scribes, the teachers of the day. He recognized something substantially better about the teaching of Jesus than he did any other teacher. And he, and he recognized the authority with which Jesus spoke, the goodness with which Jesus spoke, that he was not your ordinary teacher, but he was a good teacher. He was above and beyond the teachers of his day. And so maybe it was a recognition that the teacher teaching of Jesus is substantially different than the teaching of anyone else. Or maybe he's just trying to flatter Jesus hoping to get the answer that he wants and so maybe he just kind of throws that out good teacher what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life and so notice, notice his emphasis, emphasis on goodness Jesus is a good teacher what good thing must I do what is something that is pleasing to God that is honorable to God that is right in his sight that I may do that good thing and thereby earn everlasting life. And Jesus 
answer is one to him that kind of makes him think about this idea of goodness. And Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? Why are you calling me good? Why did you come and call me a good teacher? There's no command, there's no model in the scripture to come before a rabbi and call him a good teacher. Why did you call me good? He wants him to examine his motive, examine his heart. What about me is good? What makes you think I am good? What makes you come and address me as good? Because no one is good but God. No one is good but one, that is God. And so Jesus wants him to look at his heart, look at his motive, examine why are you coming and calling me good? And here Jesus is not denying that he is God the Son, the Son of God, equal with God the Father. He's not to, uh, denying his own sinlessness, but he is asking this to make that young man think. To think about goodness, to think about what goodness really is, and that goodness is a characteristic, an attribute of God, and there is no human person who does good, not even one. There is no human person who perfectly obeys the law. He asked this question to make him examine himself and his motive. Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. And then he wants to help this man see his sinfulness by applying the law. The law is given not to tell us how to earn salvation, but to show us how much we need salvation. And so Jesus uses the law to help this man see his lack of goodness. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. You want eternal life? He asks, what good thing must I do that I may have eternal life and eternal life? When we think of eternal life, we think of living forever, and that is certainly true. Eternal life does mean that we live forever, but it's not just a quantity life. It is also a quality life. If you just live forever and it's a miserable life, that's not a good thing to look forward to. <laughs> but eternal life is a, is a life sharing the life of God. Uh, eternal life is being alive to the things of God and to His goodness. And so He wants... To know about treasure in heaven, living, being alive to the life of God and delighting in his presence, living with God. What good thing that I may do that I shall have eternal life. And Jesus helps him see his sinfulness or tries to help him see his sinfulness by applying the law. Keep the commandments. And the young man says, which ones? He has come thinking that, oh, if there is this one good thing I could do, this one great act, this one massive thing that I can do for God, this one good thing, then I would certainly do it in order that I might obtain the life of God, that I might obtain everlasting life, eternal life. He's expecting some big, profound thing, some new teaching, some new thing that he can do in order to earn eternal life. And so... Uh, he asks, well, well, which one? Which commandments? Which ones do I have to obey? And, and notice what Jesus does. Jesus focuses on the commandments that govern his relationship with other people. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we see kind of two tables of the law. The first four govern our relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Thou shalt not use my name in vain. Remember my Sabbath day, the holy day, the, the Sabbath day, and keep it holy. Those first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. 
But Jesus skips past those and focuses on the, re, the, the commandments that govern our relationship with other people. This man is likely thinking, well, if I could do one good thing for God, then I could etern earn eternal life. If there was one good deed I could do for God on behalf of God, then I would earn his acceptance, earn salvation. But Jesus focuses not on what he might do for God, but what he must do for his neighbor. He focuses on, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. If you wanted a Mother's Day sermon, there it is. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he, so he focuses on the last of the Ten Commandments, and then he focuses on that second great command that sums up all the law, love your neighbor as yourself. And again, that law is not given to tell us how to earn God's salvation, but to show us our need. And so he gives the law, he gives the command so that the man might see that he has fallen short of God's holy standard and what he needs is repentance and confession and forgiveness and cleansing from his sin. But this man has no understanding of his sinfulness. This man, at the root of it, thinks he's good. He's paid careful attention to these laws. And he says in verse 20, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? He had paid careful attention to the law. He had exercised self-control and never committed murder. He had exercised self-control and never committed the act of adultery. He had exercised self-control, never stolen, never took something that belonged to him according to his testimony. Never gone to court. And sworn an oath to tell the truth and bore a false witness against somebody. Never done any of those things. But I've been careful. I've done all that through my life. And yet I still have this emptiness. I still feel like I'm missing something. I still feel like I, I'm lacking something. I still feel like there's some great, big, huge, good thing that I need to do for God in order to earn eternal life. What do I still lack? I've done those things. I've, I've been good. And yet... I still don't have peace. I still don't feel like I've earned eternal life. Something's missing. And I've come to you, good teacher, to tell me what good thing I must do to fill that gap, to bridge that, that chasm, to, to, to help me feel good about my goodness. And then Jesus points him to the first commandment. He started with the last commandments that govern his relationship with his neighbor. And then Jesus points to his real God. First commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This man had not held fast to that commitment because he had another God. Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, and that's the standard, by the way, if you're going to earn acceptance by the law, you've got to be perfect, you've got to obey the whole law all the time. Not just in letter, but in spirit. If you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And so now Jesus confronts him with the first commandment. You want treasure in heaven. You want the life of God. You want to be alive to the life of God. Then you've got to get rid of your small g God. Your God is your possessions. 
Your God is your stuff. Your God is your wealth. And you are not willing to give up that God in order to have treasure in heaven and follow me and have the life of God. And so Jesus confronts him with the first commandment. And guess what? The man is not willing to submit himself to the true and living God, the God of the universe. And he goes away clinging to the God of his wealth. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so here this event tells us about goodness. The man comes and asks Jesus, good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus confronts us with the law. If you want to earn an eternal life, if you want to get eternal life through your own goodness, you've got to obey the whole law all the time, every way. In attitude, in word, in deed, in thought, in action. If you want to earn salvation by your goodness, you must never fall short. And so Jesus makes it plain. There is no good thing that we can do to inherit eternal life. He, he confronts the man with the law so that he would see his lack of goodness, his inability to do good. The fact that he has not done good and he's just like every other person, there's none that does good, not even one. He confronts him with the law so that he might see that in him and in his flesh there is no good thing. He wants eternal life, but he cannot turn his back on his real God, his wealth, and his possessions. And so when we ask, how do I obtain goodness? What is goodness? Goodness is doing what is right in the eyes of God. Goodness is doing what is pleasing to God. Goodness is to reflect his loving kindness and his goodness and doing what is right. Goodness is doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. That's what goodness is. How do I obtain it? Well, the first way I obtain it is I confess my lack of goodness. The law shows me that I fall short. The law is not the gospel. The law shows me my need for the gospel. The law summed up in the command to love my neighbors, I love myself, convicts me, condemns me, shows my lack of goodness. There are times that I might do what the world calls good and very, very good, but there are other times that I do that which is horrid. And so the first step is to confess my lack of goodness. I've fallen short of God's holy standard. What I need is forgiveness. What I need is cleansing from my sin. I have not done good. I am not righteous. I have fallen short of God's holy standard. Confess my lack of goodness. Repent. Stop trusting in myself and thinking if there's just some really big good thing that I can do for God, then I will earn eternal life. Stop trusting in myself and my ability to do some great good act. 
turn from trusting in myself, to turn from my flesh where there is no good thing, and to put my trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation, the one who earned goodness for me by being good as my representative, being perfectly righteous. He earned righteousness. He earned goodness through his sinless life. And then he died on the cross demanding, satisfying the demands of the law against my ungoodness, my lack of goodness. As he took the penalty that I deserved, dying on the cross, satisfying God's wrath, and God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted. I admit my lack of goodness I turn from my trust in myself and I put my trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone, the one who alone is good, and I trust Him, His goodness, to be credited to me because my ungoodness, my lack of goodness, was credited to Him and He took away the penalty, the guilt, and the shame when He died on the cross and His resurrection proves it. So, how do I obtain goodness? I repent of my ungoodness and I put my trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone who alone is good and when I trust in Jesus I'm born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit produces a practical goodness the fruit of goodness the Holy Spirit enables me to love to do justly to love mercy to walk humbly with God the Holy Spirit enables me to do what is right in the eyes of God to reflect his loving kindness and his goodness in my relationship with other people. I can't work it up. I can't produce goodness. I can't manufacture it. I can't produce it through my effort, through my flesh. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is goodness. Goodness is not my work. Goodness is the work of the Holy Spirit. So how do I have goodness? I repent and believe in Jesus, and then I must abide in Christ. And his word abide in me. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will produce much fruit. The Holy Spirit's fruit will be produced in you. Be led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Abide in Christ. His word abide in you. And the Holy Spirit will produce his fruit of goodness. And we need that gospel every day, but we fall short. And we're called to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. We focus on our shortcomings not that we might despair or be discouraged, but that we might be encouraged to abide in Christ, to let His Word abide in us, to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and trust that the Holy Spirit will produce His fruit of goodness in us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, we thank you that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is goodness. And Lord, this morning we confess our lack of goodness so many times, too many times, selfish, self-serving, conceited, prideful, envious, jealous, holding on to things to serve self. Lord, we fall short of your holy standard. And we confess and we repent. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be led by the Spirit, 
to walk in the Spirit. And that your Spirit would produce this fruit in us, Lord. Make us good. Make us kind. Help us reflect your goodness and your service, your loving kindness. Help us to rest, to abide in Christ. May his word abide in us. And may you produce your fruit of goodness. Lord, we pray that Community Grace Baptist Church would have a reputation for goodness. That people that we would grow in goodness and, and kindness. And that those around us would see your goodness reflected in us. Lord, help us grow in holiness. Grow in an effective testimony. Grow in goodness. And that you would add to our number those that are being saved. May your spirit produce in us his fruit of goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing a, a closing. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.